Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. I want to thank you for joining me. I am so glad to share this time with you today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people, concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more of more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. I want to encourage you to subscribe to always get the next podcast. Let's turn our attention to this week's message, and we'll begin with a quote from Thomas Merton, who says this, We are not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves, and we are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. In this world, we live under the inescapable and undeniable grip of sin. But God loves you, and He loves His creation. This world, for all its flaws, is incredibly special, and you are special. And God's plan is redemption. And He has accomplished this redemption through Jesus, His Son. His Son laying down His life on the cross as payment for your sin, for my sin, for all sin. This Advent season, we are focusing in on the prophet Isaiah. So, we'll be spending the next several weeks in the book of Isaiah and his message about God's plan. And part of that plan that I want to focus on today is God restoring peace with you and with me. So, I need you to hear this. The peace of God is needed more than ever. His peace is more than the end of conflict, but is the restoration of the whole person, the restoration of you, and the restoration of God's creation. So, let's read the text. It's in the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is how it reads. This is what the this is what Isaiah son of Amoz saw according to Judah and Jerusalem in the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains it will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it many peoples will come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the temple of the God of Jacob he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths the law will go out from Zion and the word from the Lord and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So we have this description. The people of the earth are streaming towards God on his holy mountain. The weapons of war are being reforged into tools. Nations no longer settle disputes between one another, but God stands as the arbiter of justice between the nations, between the peoples. Isaiah is a very visual prophet. He's receiving visions from the Lord, and he vividly describes the message of God. The book of Isaiah, it's the second longest book in the Bible. It's, uh, Psalms is the longest book, and Isaiah is in many ways, the crown jewel of the prophetic books. Isaiah is no ragged prophet from the countryside. He's a Jerusalem insider. Likely, he was what we might call a throne room prophet, having access to the ear of the king. Jewish tradition even lists Isaiah as a cousin 
of the king. Now, whether that's true is uncertain, but that's what the tradition lists. And our text today, is it's a very fascinating text, a very lofty picture of the future, and it has a twin. If you were to go to the book of Micah, chapter 4, and, chapter four and read verses 1 through 5 there, you would find a nearly identical passage to the words we just read from Isaiah. So, it's a common idea that was being passed around Israel. Now, our text from Isaiah chapter 2, for all of its beauty, lives in a strange location. It rests between two other passages of Scripture in Isaiah, of course, that are blistering indictments of Israel. If you were to back up just a little bit to Isaiah chapter 1 and read verses 2 through 4, you would read God's pronouncement of judgment over Jerusalem. And I'll read those for you now. It's Isaiah chapter 1, 2 through 4 says this, Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey knows its owner, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evil doers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord, they have spurned the Holy One of Israel, and they turn their backs on Him. What an indictment that passage is. Later on in Isaiah chapter 2, meaning just after what we read today, you can pick up at verse 6, you'll read further judgment pronounced. You have Israel having amassed great wealth. They are rich in horses and chariots, weapons of war, if you will, gold and silver and idols. And then if we go just and read a few verses there, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we read God's judgment on them. He says, their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. And then these last words from verse 9, just they are terrible words that I hope you will never hear, but they are words that God speaks over Jerusalem and he says, do not forgive them. To hear God say, do not forgive them, is that even bearable? Not even getting a second chance? Never getting a reprieve? Jerusalem was found unfaithful to God glutted with selfishness, and it will be handed over to judgment. We don't want to find ourselves in similar shoes. We do not want to be a people that bow down to the work of our hands. And yet, such a description is very apropos to our times. But, nestled in between these two calls for judgments, what I read from Isaiah 1 and what I just read from Isaiah 2, nestled between our words of reprieve, words of renewal. Despite humanity's best efforts, God's plan is undeterred, and his plan is for the establishment of his kingdom forever, and that the people will be restored to them. Now, in order to say yes to the vision that God gives us today in Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, You've got to say no to some things. And since we're talking about peace, we're going to talk about the things that you need to say no to when it comes to peace. And one thing you need to say no to is a worldly understanding of peace. Because we need to know what God's peace really is. So we need to ask, what does God's peace look like? Yes, it's the end of conflict. 
That's, that's right there. If you just stop there, that's worldly peace, the end of conflict. No more conflict with others, with yourself. And then when we start stepping into God's version of peace, it's no more being at odds with God. God's peace is more than just a lack of conflict. It is a lack of suffering, a lack of hardship. It's a lack of, well, lack, not enough. God's peace is abundance. God's peace is wholeness. It is the presence of true righteousness. Sin is conquered, and it has no hold on anyone in God's peace. And peace is found in the presence of God. That is the real peace that we look for, the presence of God. Here's a little quote I love that describes peace. Safety consists not in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. I like that. I know it uses the word safety instead of peace, but to realize it's not just that something is missing, but that you are in the presence of God. That is God's peace. And Isaiah describes peace as the people of the world happily seeking God, seeking his rule in their lives, seeking his judgment over them, seeking his law over their lives. Peace in this heavenly picture is a restored relationship with God that spills out over all of humanity. The philosopher Cornelius Plantiga describes peace this way. He writes, It's the webbing together of God and humans and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but what it means what but it means far more than mere peace of mind or ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. And Isaiah tells us the way things ought to be is in the presence of God and under his rule. That's what's meant by the Jewish word shalom. That's what's meant by God's peace. Isaiah's picture of peace, you know, it also shows us our current sin and our current need. When we read that passage of Isaiah about the people streaming to the mountain of God, it should feel, it should leave you feeling like there's something missing in your life, that there's something falling short. When we read these great pictures of God's plan, we are meant to feel our need, that we have a need for a Savior, for Jesus, for forgiveness, for this peace that we read about. And so I want to warn you, do not settle for counterfeit peace. It is no surprise in our noisy culture that most people are uncomfortable with silence. It's not uncommon when a person finds themselves in a moment of quiet to do something to just fill the air, just get themselves occupied. We don't like to be alone with our thoughts, so let's get something going, make something happen, do something. I have seen people fill the silence with music, with their own voice, or by simply turning to their phone and looking at, well, the weather. They might be silent in that moment looking at their phone, but the quiet is filled with visual, digital noise. It is unhealthy to lose the ability to be by yourself in a quiet moment. Our culture is quick to fill the void of quiet, and it is also tempting to fill 
Just as it is tempting to fill silence with noise, it's tempting to fill the absence of peace with whatever form of peace you can get out your hands on right now. And I want to warn you about that because there's counterfeit peace that we try to stick into our world right now, into our lives right now. I don't feel very much peace. There's too much conflict. There's also, you see all the things that are going wrong. If you ever had a moment where you feel that way, and then our instinct is, I got to get peace put into my life, and we can grab onto the wrong things. Counterfeit peace comes in many forms. And often counterfeit forms are good on their own, but deadly when you or I let them take the place of God's peace in our lives. I want to warn you about a few things we try to put in place of God's peace. Activity is not God's peace. Just as we are uncomfortable with silence, we can also try to flood conflict. We can flood uh, that struggle we're in with activity. If I can just do something, I can make this better. Um, you know, we, we often think that with human activity, we can do tremendous good. We can right or wrong with, by doing stuff. And that's true. But too many are people are trying to solve their problems with their accomplishments. Doesn't work that way. Capability and careers are wonderful achievements, and we should each strive for excellence. But if your life lacks peace, you will never be able to forge real peace, godly peace, through what you do, through a career or through competency or through activity or busyness. Activity is not peace. Abundance is also not peace. Having stuff, having plenty, having needs met is a good thing, but this is different from peace. Abundance can also quickly become excess. In our world today, you can experience so much blessing of stuff. You can have a lot, and you can have so much that you actually become a prisoner to stuff, burdened by debt, burdened by the worry if you'll have enough, if your retirement will last Abundance is not necessarily peace, and we know it's not godly peace. Authority is not peace. Just because you have control doesn't mean you're experiencing peace. And I've learned that I'm not capable, in my effort to control, I'm not capable of forging real peace. I can make a copy. I can get my way. I can prevent others from wielding their control. But my ability to wield authority, your ability to be in control does not produce true godly peace and avoidance. Avoidance is not peace. For many people, peace comes from ignoring the elephant in the room, but they're only fooling themselves when they do that. Sometimes they do it for survival. I understand that. Sometimes we avoid to, well, avoid the argument. I don't want to get in a fight with so-and-so. And so you spend your time walking on eggshells so your spouse or your parent or your child doesn't get mad at you. But that's not peace. That's living under constant tension, constant stress. It becomes survival. And when you stay in that mode long enough, the life goes out of you. If you're avoiding a conflict instead of dealing with it in a healthy way, Stop. Don't fool yourself into believing that you are just keeping the peace. You're avoiding the fight. Yeah, you need to be safe. You need to find a positive way to deal with conflict. But hear this. God did not make you to live to avoid the fight. He made you to live and experience his peace. His shalom. So be careful. 
Don't try to fill the lack of peace in your life with counterfeit peace. Because true peace is only from God. So we're supposed to avoid false peace, counterfeit peace, but that's not enough. Nor is it enough to just remove weapons. We must put something in their place. Or rather, we must let God put something new into us. Our hearts are not to be uh, are not built to be empty, so you must first, above all else, seek God. And Isaiah gives us a picture of the future, the mountain of the Lord, and everyone wants to be near God. They're streaming towards the mountain. Let's go to the mountain of the Lord to let their life be filled with God, to let God rule over them. It's a world where everyone streams to the mountain of God. Everyone seeks God's face. Everyone is made whole by God, or at least those that would seek him. This is a passage that's about being filled with God, his peace, and being reformed. We can dream of peace, we can want peace, but real peace only comes from God and when we let ourselves be filled by God. So that's the first thing you need to do if you want peace. Be filled by God. Seek out Christ. But secondly, and I did mention this just briefly a moment ago, we need to identify the weapons that we use or that you use and surrender them to God and let him make them into something different. Physical weapons are easy to identify. Swords, guns, tanks, missiles, whatever you want to use against a person. That's a physical thing. And you cannot have peace if you're willing to wield physical weapons to force your will onto others. Eventually, weapons have to be put aside. But there's a lot of other weapons that we wield, like words. Words are perhaps the most violent weapon a person can use. They do harm by piercing the heart. Words can leave wounds that reopen decades after they've been spoken. And there's lots of ways we can wield words as weapons. An ill-spoken truth is a weapon. Because you can make the truth hurt, can't you? You can use words to inspire guilt. Have you ever said something to make someone feel guilty? Can you really tell me that's not a weapon? It surely is. Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah calls you and me to turn our weapons, our swords, into plowshares. God wants to reforge our weapons into tools for building his kingdom. It's one thing to say, I will let God have a sword. I'll give it to him. It's another thing to say, I will let God have my words and how I use them, and he will remake them into something wonderful. So will you surrender to God and let the Holy Spirit turn your weapons into kingdom-building tools? Now, our text today also speaks about God's teaching and his law. And if we want peace... We cannot decide to produce it on our own. We must let God plant it into our lives. And so, we need to be all about God's teaching and God's law. Psalm 119, verse 165. Yeah, it's a long psalm. Reads like this. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Meaning, yeah, peace, the peace of God, can come when we dig into God's word and his law. And if you want peace, you have to trust in God. Romans 5.13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you got to trust the Lord to let his peace get worked into your life. And then we have our Messiah. Jesus. 
He's called the Prince of Peace. Isaiah names him that. They may not say Jesus. He's talking about the Messiah. In Isaiah uh, 9, verse 6, we read these words, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus, the Messiah, is peace. He is peace himself. And so if you want God's peace, you've got to let Jesus into your life. Will you let him be the author of peace in your life? One final scripture. Romans 12, verse 18. We as God's people are called to live at peace with everyone. Yeah, I'm talking about God's peace today, and we need to be reminded that we, as God's people, have a mission to bring peace to others. This is a calling that God places upon every Christian. Isaiah promises a future peace, and God is starting that peace now, and you and I are called to be a part of it. Here's what Justin Martyr says about peace. He writes these words, We ourselves are well conversant with war, with murder, and evil. But all of us, through the whole wide earth, have traded our weapons of war. We have exchanged our swords for plowshares, our spears for farm tools. Now we cultivate the fear of God, justice, kindness, faith, and the expectation of the future given to us through the crucified one. The more we are persecuted and martyred, the more do others in ever-increasing numbers become believers. In other words, the Christian shares Jesus by living at peace with others, even at great personal cost. Perhaps you have someone in your life that you're in conflict with. Instead of responding with more conflict, respond with the peace of Christ instead. God is a true source of peace, and you need to stop trying to answer conflict with counterfeit peace like activity or abundance or authority or even avoidance. Instead, allow God to work His will and authority through King Jesus in your life. This will spill over into the lives of those around you. Will you let Him do this? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help each of us to hunger for your peace more than we hunger for our sin. Help us not to settle for counterfeit peace. Help each of us to place our trust completely in Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.